And hey guys. Yeah, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. And uh, as Brandon said, this is my first sermon at Compass, and, and man, am I glad uh, that it's you guys. Uh, I, was, uh, I was told that I was going to get to preach to the men, and I said, w- what better group to preach to than a group of men? And so uh, as we do that, I want to give us an introduction, and I'm going to start out with a question. And the question is, have you ever been upset with your wife and felt like sulking around all day? Mmm, yeah. Uh, but as, as godly men, we also remember that we have a duty to love our wives, to honor and respect her. So in the midst of our sulking, we also have to remember that God is giving us a duty. So I'll share with you an illustration. I'm not yet married, but I am engaged. I get married. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, that is a big step for me. My mother was so proud when she found out that a woman would agree to marry me. <laughs> uh, but uh, my fiance Kayla and I are getting married on May 19th. So as of now, all my stuff is still in Kansas City, Missouri. And uh, here's what we're going to do, though. Uh, on, in May, after we get married, we're going to move everything down here in what is called a pod. And if you don't know what a pod is, it's basically like a, uh, like a storage shed that you drop off in one place. And you can keep it as long as you want, and you put everything in it. And then when you're ready, you let them know. They come pick it up. They put it on an 18-wheeler, and they ship it to where you want it, and they drop it off, and you get to take your time getting it out. So we decided to do that for two reasons. One, it would be a lot easier on us. And two, we wouldn't have to drive all the way from Kansas City, Missouri, to Southern California. Because I don't know, nobody wants to do that. So, so that's what we're going to do. And so as the, the great future husband I am, I said, honey, I will take care of this. I'm, I'm going to get this done. So I called, I called Pods, and I, I, I said, hey, this is where I, my stuff is. This is where I want it. And I, I did everything from, hey, I need you to put the shipping container facing south, away from the garage, but close enough to where we don't have to walk too far to get it in there. And I said, this is exactly what time I want you to come pick it up. This is when, I, this is when and where I want you to take it to South Orange County. I want you to put it in the third parking spot over by my door, apartment 194. And I want it facing this direction, and then we will get it. We'll get it there. So after about two hours of all this logistics, we had everything perfectly ready to get moving. And I, I, that evening, I called my fiance Kayla, and I said, "Honey, I got it all figured out." I said, "Everything is perfect. You don't have to worry about anything. I have it all under control." And so I told her good night. The, the next morning, uh, she was about to go to class, and she called me, and she said, "Hayden." None of that's going to work. And I said, none of what's going to work? She's like, the dates you chose were wrong. She said, the times aren't going to work. I have finals that week. My dad's going to be off on a business trip. No one's going to be here. And I said, you're kidding me. So I was upset. I was, I was upset because I said, all that work for nothing. And I was, I was just ready to hang up and go back to bed. But I thought, and I remember one of my mentors told me that I had a job. And my job was, no matter how I was feeling, I was supposed to love and honor Kayla. And I had to show her then in that moment that more than my feelings, I loved her. And I wanted to honor her and care about her. And so with that, we're going to talk about a similar story in Second Samuel 19. So if you have your Bible, we, we can turn there. Um, and we're going we're gonna to be posed a question like David was, and we have a choice to make, and it is either to sit in misery 
or fulfill God's purpose for his life. And in the same way, David's life in chapter 19 should challenge you to take a stand in your life, whether in your marriage and raising your children or in the workplace. You can either sit and be in misery or fulfill the purpose that God has still given you, whether that's to love your wife, to lead your family, or to be the light of Christ in the workplace. So follow with me. We're going to read through verses 1 through 8. It was told Joab, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard that day, The king is grieving for his son. And the people stole into the city that day as people still in who are ashamed when they flee battle. The king covered his face and the king cried with a loud voice, Oh, my son, Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house of the king and said, You have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines because you love those who hate you and you hate those who love you. For you have made it clear today that commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. Now therefore arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you this night. And this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. Then the king arose and took his seat in the gate. And the people were all told, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate. And all the people came before the king. Now Israel had fled every man to his own home. You see, David found himself in a predicament, didn't he? He, uh, he, did a, he was going through some hard times. His son had just died. The things that he'd done in his past have come to haunt him. And he is at a crossroads in his life. So with that, let's go, through, let's go from verses 1 through 4 and, and see how this story unfolds. It was told, Joab, behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard that day, the king is grieving for his son. And the people stole into the city that day as people steal and who are ashamed when they flee in battle. The king covered his face and the king cried with a loud voice, O oh, my son Absalom, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Most of you, you guys have, have been in here a while and you guys have been going over Second Samuel. But in case you weren't here, you just showed up or you forgot, we have a question. How has David found himself in this situation? Where has David been in his past that has got him where he is today? Well, let's look at Second Samuel chapter 12, verses 10 through 12. It says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own household, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. So we, we look at where David is mourning for the, the death of his son, and all the while David knew through the prophet Nathan that this very day was going to come sooner and later. And so he knew that God's judgment in his life was leading him right to where he was. So one of the things that David is fearing is, is number one, he's mourning because of what is going on, but he's mourning because he knows the very situation that he, he is in is his fault. How many of us have found ourselves there a time or two, knowing that we put ourselves exactly where we deserved? Has your sin ever created problems in your life that seem too big to be fixed? 
I'll tell you, I'll tell you an illustration. The other day I was watching TV and I watched a, a show of a, of a man and in this TV show, he, he started out with a little lie. And, and as the TV show kept going, he had to lie more and he had to lie more and he had to lie more. By the end of the show, his lie got so big, he couldn't continue telling a lie and he got caught. And at the end of his lie, he was around all his friends and all his family and he got caught. And he had to tell everybody that he lied and he had to apologize and tell everybody everything that he did wrong in front of everyone. How humiliating is it to be caught in sin and have to confess it before your friends and your family? You see, here's the point number one. Is sin causes humiliation. See, David's mourning over Absalom's death has caused all of the people humiliation. I think one of the things as, as men that we should know more than anything is this. Our sin causes more than just personal humiliation. But it causes humiliation to our family and our friends and our communities. So we have to know that in, in sin, before we choose sin, before we choose the things that are not honoring to God, not only what it's going to do to us, but the impact that it has on those around us. I love how the, NAS, the NASB does chapter 3 in Second Samuel 19, and it says it this way. So the people went by stealth into the city that day as people who are humiliated still away when they flee in battle. So I want to I show you this paints a beautiful picture of the impact that David had on his army. When he was mourning, his army was humiliated that they won a victory. They killed Absalom. David was now safe. That is a victory for the army. But they saw David mourning and they came into the city as though they had been defeated. And they came in and it says by stealth. It's like they snuck into the city like somebody who was ashamed and defeated. Although they were indeed victorious. That is the impact that David had on their lives. And I want to ask you as men, as leaders in our households, as commanders of our families, how much our decisions will impact what our families see as victory and see as defeat. We need to look and, and at our wives and at our children, and we need to know that the decisions we make are going to honor them. And the decisions that we make are going to show them, yes, we are great commanders, we are great husbands, we are great fathers. But we will do two things. We will own up to our mistakes, and we will honor the victories. <clears throat> Ravi Zacharias once said, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. That's where David has found himself in the midst of uh, a situation much more than he was originally willing to pay. But we got good news. There is something you can do to keep yourself out of David's situation. You ready to hear that? It's time for some good news. Look with me to verse 5. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, You have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines because you love those who hate you and you hate those who love you. For you have made it clear today that commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased." Now, therefore, arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you this night. And this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. 
have a question. Do you have men around you who have the authority in your life to speak out the truth, to speak into your situation the truth of God's word, the truth of your situation? When I was in college, I was at a crossroads in my life. I was called to ministry. I was working in the local church, but I was young. And there were were decisions that I had to make that, depending on the decision, I could go down one road or the other. And so in in order to do that, I met with a pastor that I highly respected who was a friend of mine. And I told him the whole situation, the good things, the bad things. And in that conversation, he was able to give me counsel that led me to make the good decisions that I needed to make to put myself where God could use me. It wasn't an easy conversation. As men, the last things we want to do is pour our hearts out to another man and tell him where we failed, where we feel hurt, where we feel scarred. But that is what God has, has called us to do. And, uh, and that brings us to point number two, is seek godly counsel. In Proverbs 19, verse 20, it says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. You know, Joab's not the greatest character in Second Samuel. He does a lot of uh, mis- mischievous things. But in this moment, he is David's greatest counselor. In this moment, he has turned David's sure demise into an opportunity for David to retake his throne. Because at this point, he's been running. He's been hiding. There's no, been, there's no ruling king over Israel. But Joab stands up and says, this is what you have to do, so go do it. We all need people in our lives who can tell us the truth, even when we don't want to hear it. And in order to find godly counsel, we need to be proactive. We need to seek proactive counsel and not reactive counsel. You following me? There are two kinds of counsel, and David seek the the former in that he seek reactive counsel. He did it twice. Just earlier, he did it with Nathan, the prophet. What happened? Well, he slept with Bathsheba. He murdered Uriah. And he put himself in such a terrible situation that the prophet Nathan had to come up and, and tell him a parable, if you will. And then, and then in, the, in the parable, there were, there were such terrible things going on in the story that David was furious, said, how could you do that? That man should die. And then what did Nathan do? He said, that's you. And then David just fell weeping because he realized what he had done. You see, that's reactive counseling. He's already been in that situation, and now he has to go through a lot of pain and a lot of hurt to get out of it. And guess what? He did it again with Joab. Did he have a reason to be upset? Yes. When you lose a son, it hurts. But when you put yourself in such deep, deep sin, it takes a lot of pain to get you out. And so Joab was again the reactive counsel that David was given in that moment. But we as men, we need to have proactive counsel. We need to seek today the men that we can go to. We need to today seek the counsel that we will need for tomorrow so that we can stay out of the situations that David has found himself in. That's the good news. The good news is we do not have to be where David is because God has given us his word and he has told us to seek wise counsel. We need to know the danger of sin and the consequences. There's nothing that will help you find good counsel than knowing the dangers of the sin that surrounds you. 
You know, I, I think of, I think of uh, the, the great wars that we've had in, in the past and, and how people are trained very well to go into war. You know, nobody signs up for the military today and gets shipped off tomorrow to go fight a war. Why? Because they're not prepared. But they go and they prepare themselves for the war that is at hand, and so they can do it with strength and assurance that they're prepared for what they're going to do. But how many of us, we know we have a war, a spiritual war in front of us, do not prepare and do not get ready for what is going to come, the spiritual war that is going to come meet us. Let us today resolve not to be passive men, but to be men who say, today I'm going to find counsel so that tomorrow I'm going to be prepared for the battle that is coming my way. So let us have a proactive plan in place so that you can protect yourself, your family, and your church. So let's watch how this last scene unfolds as God shows his mercy to David. Read with me in in verse 8. It says, Then the king arose and took his seat in the gate, and the people were all told, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate, and all the people came before the king. Now Israel had fled every man to his own home. You see, before verse 8, David has either been on the run or out of his functional role as king. In verse 8, it's a turning point for David, returning to his duty as king in the sight of the people. Is, is, it full, is he fully perceived as a king? No, there's a lot of people who still don't have any idea what's going on. But it was the first step that David had to take to retake his rightful place as king. And verse 8 is proof of God's covenant or promise, if you will, with David. The Davidic covenant, which is in 2 Samuel 7, 8 through 17. We're going to read it, so if you want to flip over there. We're going to read the, the promise that God had made David. And when it says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from the following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Verse 13, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with a rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words, in accordance with all the vision Nathan spoke to David. You see, God had a plan for David, and he made him a promise that he was faithful to fulfill. If you read today's DBR, I, I want to give you a little update on there. In, in Luke one twenty nine, it was actually the culmination of the Davidic covenant. If, if you read today's daily Bible reading, and if you didn't, we're going to do it right now. And it's in Luke chapter 1, verse 29. And it says, But she, Mary, was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, who? David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, there will be no end. You see, there was a plan that I would mind you that even David could not comprehend. Not that his throne would not just be for generation, but for generation and generation. But salvation to the world would come through his line. That salvation for our lives, our family's lives, would come from a broken man, a sinful man, and a man after God's own heart. And that man we know as Jesus Christ came from David, and he will forever reign from the line of David. So I have a question. Can you think of a moment when God's promises were fulfilled in spite of your failings? We know that we're imperfect men. If we read the Bible, we we figure that out pretty quick, don't we? But we do know that we serve a faithful God. And and if you you didn't have a story, when I ask you that question, I'll help you with one. Ephesians 2, 1 through 7, and it says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by the grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that... In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I want to tell you something. As, as messed up as your life may have been in the past, as messed up as it may be now, or as messed up as it may be in the future, Christ is faithful to his promises. He was faithful to David and all of David's sin, just like he will be faithful in the promises that he has given us. Why? So that... In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now, that's a great promise. If, you, if your life functions in that promise, your life is going to be honoring to God. And you're not going to want to fall into sin. You're not going to want to fall into temptation because you know that in Christ, that in him, you can have fullness of joy. In him, you can have pleasures forevermore. You're not going to seek after the world. You're not going to seek after the things of of this life because you know that we are going to be seated with him so that his immeasurable riches of his grace can be shown toward us in Christ. So men, God has given you a duty to fulfill. What what, What duty is that? If you're a husband, that's to love your wife as Christ love the church. There is no better ministry in this world than you honoring and loving your wife the way that Jesus loves the church. You want to see a world turn around? Give me fathers and husbands who love their families. If you're a businessman, it's to be a Christ-honoring businessman. You're not out to cut corners. You're out to show people that even in business, Christ can be honored. Even when I'm dealing with money, I can do it for the glory of the Lord. And for all of us, it should be being a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
We're called in, in Matthew 28 to go therefore into all the nations. We are called to not sit here passively, but to go and be proactive, to go and share the gospel, to baptize in the, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to teach them all that he has commanded us. And so as men, we have a duty to fulfill, and it's the Great Commission. But if we're going to fulfill our duties, we need to know these three things. We need to know the damages of sin. We need to know the consequences of, of the temptations that will come against us from now until the other side of glory. Number two, we need to seek out men who can pour into our lives. If you do not have a man that you trust enough for you to tell your struggles with, to tell your sin, and to tell your temptations to, you're on a fast track to failure. So tonight, if you don't have that, find that with somebody in here. And number three, no God is faithful to his promises. I'm going to tell you this. I don't, I don't follow my own promises. I don't follow my own ideas because I know if I fail in my promises and in my ideas, I'm left at the end of my rope. But if I function and do everything in my life in the middle of God's promises, I'm, it's not going to fail because they're his promises and his promises never fail. They didn't fail for David, who was a murderer and an adulterer and a failed king. It's not going to fail for me and it's not going to fail for you. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you have promises that are eternal, that you give us purpose and you give us duty, even though we do not deserve it. Father, we deserve eternal punishment, but you have given us opportunity for eternal life. So while we still breathe, while we are still here today, help us be good disciples. Help us be loving husbands. Help us be Christ-honoring fathers. And help us do everything that we do for the glory of Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.